0: Well, Good morning. Thank you, Elaine and Stephen and choir for that wonderful music. It's always a blessing to follow praise to God and just kind of sets us up for hearing his word. So happy 2017. Out of curiosity, how many of you stayed up all night, at least till midnight? Raise your hand. How many of you went to bed early? You know, with four kids, you kind of catch sleep when you can. So even if you stay up all night, you still have to get up when they get up in the morning. So we're no longer partiers. You know, we go to bed early and get up early and we, we became adults along the way somewhere. So uh, so anyways, it's, it's a blessing to have all of our guests here. I know we've got a lot of family and friends from out of town. We want to welcome you here. Uh, Laura and I have some special guests, Matthew and Michelle, all the way from California There are ministers at a church in California and they do some great, great mission work and I know they uh, do a lot of interesting stuff, so I appreciate you guys being here today. Uh, We're going to be in the gospel, or excuse me, the book of Acts, and we're going to do a standalone New Year's message and a little preview for next week as you turn to Acts 2. I think I have a picture here. We're going to start the book of Ephesians and it's going to be called Becoming Who You Are. And this whole series those of you just visiting us, we typically go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And I'm excited about Ephesians. It talks about who you are in Christ, that in Christ you become pure, holy, and without fault. In Christ you become seated in the heavenly realms. And there's all these blessings in the heavenly realms that God wants us to appropriate. In Christ there's so many things that we sometimes forget even as mature believers So no matter what stage you are, Ephesians is going to be an exciting book starting next next week. And for those of you who are out of town, you can listen to us online. We do have a podcast if you have a smartphone or want to go on the internet. So if you would like to study along with us, you're welcome to do so. So as I was thinking about the New Year's, um, I was wondering how many of us typically make resolutions. Anybody have any New Year's resolutions planned? I haven't yet this year. Anybody been that organized. Well, today I wanted to do a little different message. If you remember last year before I became your pastor, I was a guest speaker and I gave a message out of Isaiah 43 where it says, behold, I'm doing a new thing and now it's springing forth. And it was kind of an inspirational type message. And today, hopefully it will be inspirational, but I want to give you the nuts and bolts. Instead of your typical New Year's resolutions like lose weight and uh, do better financially, and those are all good. I want to give you some holy habits, also called as spiritual disciplines. And basically the premise of this uh, sermon comes out of the book of James. God says if you will draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So there are certain spiritual disciplines that Christians throughout the ages have used the past almost 2,000 years and even predating Christ. These certain spiritual, holy habits that have helped people draw closer to God. And I was thinking just in our New Year's resolutions, a lot of us set different goals. Like, how many of you have ever set a goal of losing weight? Anybody ever done that? Um, I was doing research, and that's one of the number one New Year's resolutions. And the reason why, and this kind of startled me, but did you realize almost 70% of Americans are overweight? I know I and mean, they lose a little bit, a um, little confession. Every time Lori gets pregnant... I always gain baby weight. I don't know what it is. I'm serious. I, I, got, I guess it's sympathy pains or, but if she eats more, I eat more even if I don't need to. So I'm going to have to lose weight this year. So physical. Um, we have financial. How many of you have ever said I'm going to try to get out of debt this year? That's, that's, usually a big one. I just, this is the average in America, the recent study. The average American household has $16,000 in credit card debt, $28,000 in car loans, and forty-nine thousand dollars in student loans, and most of us who have been through college, you, you know how hard that is to repay. And that's not counting your mortgage. Um, a lot of people will say, you know, I want to learn more, learn something new. And um, you know, part of that is getting out there and reading, getting out there, taking a class. And um, it, it's great to see people who are in their mature years that still have an insatiable appetite to learn. And never stop growing. I like that. But today I want to give you some streams that will help you. I want you to think about your spiritual life as streams that flow into one big river. Have you ever had a dry season in your life where it seems like you just didn't sense God in your life? You had a dark night of the soul? That's happened to many Christians the longer you're on your journey. And I think part of that reason is Maybe we have only one or two streams, and if one of those streams seems to dry up, it feels like a river runs low. So part of these holy habits or spiritual disciplines is to have multiple streams in your life so your spiritual life never gets dry, never feels like God's so far away. And It's not saying we'll never have those, but it minimizes those times. So we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 2, and this is the early church, And they had certain holy habits, certain spiritual disciplines that they did that really drew them closer to God, that made them have a huge impact in their community. So we're going to start in verse uh, 41. After Peter's sermon, we see that those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now, can you guys imagine baptizing 3,000 people one day? Matthew, I don't know if you've seen that in California yet, but I'm, I'm looking for the day when there's so many people that accept Christ. I mean, you're having to recruit some of your deacons and other people. that Help me baptize all these people. 3,000 people, that would take a lot, of, a lot of effort, right? And it says they continued steadfastly. Notice, continued steadfastly. In your margin, you could put holy habit or you could put spiritual discipline. This is not something they did occasionally, but they did on an ongoing basis. In the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread. We're really good as, that, as Baptists, right? Breaking of bread and in prayers. And look at the result, the next verse, verse, verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul. And this fear is like this holy wonder and awe. Like, what is going on with that church? And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. Notice they had unity. And they had all things in common. Now, this is not saying like they were all uniformity. They were unified. The difference between unity and uniformity is unity is we're all together with a common purpose. Uniformity is you all got to look like me, talk like me and act like me. And that's dangerous. That's called legalism. And we definitely don't believe in that. But we do believe in unity. And it says in verse 45, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, look at verse 46. Now, imagine us doing this in our modern world. We're so busy. It says, so continuing daily, they were met every day with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food and gladness, with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, could you imagine having church every, every day? I mean, wouldn't that be hard with your modern work schedule? But somehow these people had this holy fire that they just just kept wanting to hear about God's word and meet together, pray together, eat together. It wasn't the kind of faith where you see a church member in a grocery store and you go on the other aisle because you don't want to talk to them. It was the kind of faith where they wanted to be together. And it was like this holy fire that encouraged all the believers. So, Father, as we look into your word, we ask and pray that 2017 would be a blessed new year. So, Father, we pray for understanding of your word and that it would transform the way we see our life in our new year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about what it's like to be all in. What is it like to fully surrender everything you have for God? Uh, my wife and I were talking about the phrase all in. in. In different worlds it means different things. But basically it's the phrase I'm giving everything down, I'm risking everything because I know the outcome is greater than anything I could ever dream of. So to be all in in your spiritual life means that you're saying, God, I trust you so much. I'm not just going to say you're my savior, but I'm going to say you're my Lord. I'm all in for you. So we're going to talk about at least a few different holy habits or, as you will, spiritual disciplines. The first one is this. Spend time daily in God's Word. This is the discipline of Bible study. So for those of us who haven't gotten New Year's resolutions, here's the first one that you maybe want to have is to read the Bible every day in 2017. Now I did some research and I found the average person in America, let me get my stat here, I think it was the average person only reads the Bible like just 16% of Americans. So only about 16 out of 100, something like that, read the Bible every day. So that's, that's not a lot. So if you think about it, what is it like just to become so enamored with something that you're consumed by it? For those of you who are married, do you remember when you first started dating your significant other? How you spent countless hours talking on the phone? And the guys who don't talk now, I mean, you talk to that woman all the time. And now you barely utter a few words. But when you were dating, it was just like she captivated you. And I think as Christians, we've got to get back to being captivated by God. We've got to get back to being captivated by His Word. For me, it started um, well, I started my relationship with God when I was just five. But when I was 14, I remember going to a summer camp. It was actually during the year. And it was a camp in Brevard called the Wilds. And it was where all these Christian schools come together. And it, it feels like you're getting hit over the head of the Bible every day as a teenager. You're like, man, we're in church every day. But one thing they did that stuck with me is they taught us how to do a daily quiet time, a daily devotional time. So they had us each divide up and they said, here's what a devotional time looks like. So as a 14 year old teenager, you know, I've seen my my parents do this, but I just had never thought about it for myself. But they said, you take a passage of scripture, you pray before you read it, you ask God to speak to you and then you read it and you write down a few thoughts about what God said to you. And that we each did like 15 minutes apiece. But I remember doing that every day that week. And from then on, God laid a commitment on my heart that God, from now on, I'm going to read at least one verse every day. So I think I shared this before. I remember one time my my family, we went on a vacation, and I had forgotten to read the Bible that day. And as I was laying in the hotel room that night, the Spirit spoke to me. Timothy, um, it's not a checklist, but you forgot your commitment to me. And I didn't have a Bible nearby, I'm sure there's a Gideon's Bible somewhere. But I remember quoting scripture in my mind to fulfill the the you know, God's word in my mind every day. And that commitment, it's not a checklist, I don't want you guys to think it's a checklist, but that commitment to seek after God, it changed my life, and it's still changing my life. And I feel like if we just get back to the basics, you know, a lot of times in the new year we want to have these huge resolutions and most of us never keep it, but This is a resolution anyone can keep, right? Read the Bible every day, even if it's a verse. So I want you to think about the Bible is like your daily roadmap. Without it, you're sure to get lost in this windy, curvy life that we live in. It's your roadmap. The second spiritual discipline or holy habit, if you will, is take time regularly to fellowship with other believers. Notice in the book of Acts that they met regularly. It says daily. Uh, temple, and then from house to house it says, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. I love what John Wesley said. I want the whole Christ for my Savior. I want the whole Bible for my book. And I want the whole church for my fellowship and the whole world for my mission field. If we only could have a little bit of Wesley's fire, like, God, I don't want just a little, I want the world. I want to go after it. Since you love the world and you gave yourself for the world, And when it comes down to the church, you know, many of us have forgotten the notion of fellowship. So I grew up in a small church in West Asheville, and here's how at least I I interpreted fellowship as they defined it. Fellowship was meeting before the church. We had a downstairs basement. They called it, I guess it was kind of the fellowship hall, and it was having juice and coffee and donuts before church. That was the fellowship. Are you going to come early for fellowship? And I'm like, how many of you heard that definition in church? That, That was kind of it, right? But fellowship in the biblical sense is, it's vertical. It's like me connecting with God. And when I connect with God, I horizontally connect horizontally connect with other believers. So it's a vertical and it's a horizontal connection. So when you think about it, it can involve juice and donuts, but it's basically two or more of us on a mission for God. That's what fellowship is. So it, it can start with orange juice and donuts, but it should never end there. And I think a lot of times churches have lost their power because we've defined fellowship as just the good old boys and girls hanging out, sipping on coffee. And that's great. As you guys know, I'm a number one coffee fan. But fellowship is us coming together for a greater purpose. It's us coming together for the kingdom of God. And the way I like to illustrate about this, as it gets cold winter nights, how many of you have to burn your Christmas tree after Christmas? I don't have city pickup, so... And a little bit, that sounds really bad. Is it burn your Christmas tree down? Well, I live out in the country and there's no trash pickup. So the way you get rid of Christmas trees is after they're dry and brittle, you catch it on fire and then you can throw wood on top. And uh, so at once your Christmas tree dries up, that's what we're going to do this year. Maybe roast the marshmallows. But have you ever noticed when you have a fire, whenever you take a log out of the fire, what happens to the log? It eventually dies out, right? It loses its its flame and its fire. And I think that's the picture of fellowship in the church. When we're together, when we're united, the flame burns brightly. But let's say when someone gets their feelings hurt and they decide not to come back to church or someone looked at them the wrong way and they're like, I'm not going to, you know, what happens? Well, eventually you grow bitter, you grow cold, and you, you lose the fire. Now, let, me, let me reframe that just since it's family. If we had that mentality, as we do with church fellowship, if we had that mentality, anything else in life, you probably wouldn't do a whole lot. How many of you have ever experienced a bad meal at a restaurant where you got food poisoning? Did you ever say, I'm never going to eat food again? I mean, think about it. If you had that same logic, did you ever say, well, that person at the grocery store gave me a bad look, so I'm never going to another grocery store again. I'm just going to grow my own farm. I mean, you think about it. We don't have that logic anywhere but in the church. So fellowship is like this tenacity that, you know what? We may not get along all the time, but we're on mission together for purpose. Amen. We're on mission for God. And uh, Kira and I have, we've been talking about this saying here, so I don't see if Kira remembers, but it takes teamwork to make the dream work. So it takes teamwork to make the dream work. If you want to see God's plan come to pass, you've got to come together. Very rarely, and there may be a few exceptions in life. Very rarely will God give someone a huge vision that they can accomplish on their own. I mean, even Jesus had the twelve apostles, right? You're going to need people in your life. It takes teamwork to make the dream work. So if you're a if you're a lone ranger type person, it's going to be really hard to accomplish God's purpose for your life. God created you in the magio day, the image of God, and as that, we are relational beings. So maybe your New Year's resolution number two is to be more active in church. So we live, I talk to a lot of pastors, and I'm sure um, my friends from California, it's no difference. But as a whole, pastors begin to talk about, you know, how can we impact people for eternity? How can we impact people, get them in church, disciple them? And one of the biggest concerns pastors bring up is people's church attendance has dropped out. Is that true? Yeah. Every church... People that used to go weekly now go once or twice a month. People that used to go once a month come on Christmas and Easter. And it's like the commitment has changed. And I think part of, I think a holy habit that's just very practical is I want to make a commitment to try to be in church more. And it's not saying you're there every time the doors are open. But it's saying that if 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 I'm to draw closer to God, it's also with other people. And when I'm around you, you kind of rub off on me. And hopefully I rub off on you. And together we can do a lot. But separate, you know, God, how many times does he use a Lone Ranger person? I mean, there are a few cases in history. But generally, God raises up people together. And together they change the world. Amen. So these are some holy habits. And some of us are quiet because we're like, ouch. But it's true. It's true. Let's look at the third thing. Not only did the early church meet together, but number three, cherish time talking with God, the discipline of prayer and communion with God. You know, prayer is something, if, if I'm honest, it's a hard thing to do because in the natural realm, you do something, you see instant results. Prayer is something that you may have to continue to do and continue to do, and you may not see results for a while. It reminds me of this little boy. He was uh, being really bad, and he got sent to his room. And he came out and said, Mom, i got a confession to make. I feel better now because I prayed about it. And the mom said, Good, I'm glad you prayed about it. If you pray, God will help you to be good. And the little boy said, Well, I didn't pray to be good. I prayed to God that you'd put up with me. So it's interesting that sometimes their prayers can go in all different directions. But you know what the key is? Start a holy habit of daily conversation with God. Now, sometimes we think, well, I pray when I go to church on Sunday. I pray when I go to church on Wednesday. Imagine certain things if you only did once a week. Imagine if you only brushed your teeth once a week. How would that look on the physical realm? Imagine if you took a shower once a week. No one would want to sit around you in church, right? So why do we do certain of these holy habits just occasionally and expect our whole world to change? Um. Lori and I have been trying to encourage each other. You know, we're both post-baby number four now. and We're trying to get back in the gym. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we don't feel like doing it. But we're like, okay, let's just do it. But we've noticed if we do it just once a week, we don't really get that much effect. It's if we do it more than once. All right. So these are certain habits that will help us. So a New Year's resolution that you could say is uh, in the new year, I'm going to spend more time talking with God. And like I said, this is not a checklist. This is not a legalistic thing. These are holy habits that if you begin to do them, eventually become natural. Eventually, prayer is not something I have to do. It's I can't wait for my morning time with God over that cup of coffee. I can't wait to sit by the fireplace and talk with Jesus. It's not some legalistic, it's, it's a relational thing. And these are some things if we develop, they will really help us. Um, imagine if in the new year... Let's say some of us who need some financial advice. Imagine if you could have Warren Buffett as a mentor. How many of you would sign up for that? I'd be like, all right, Warren, um, I need some help. My finances are ex and I want it to be this way. I got a family of six to provide. Mr. Buffett, can you help me? I'm sure he could give me some ideas. And by the way, give me some shares in your stocks if you're feeling generous. Um, so most of us would take Warren Buffett up on that. Imagine you can go to the one who's the star breather, the one who breathes stars into existence, or the one who made the whole world. You can have a direct line through Jesus Christ to him. And a lot of us just don't take him up on it. And he can help you in every single area of your life. So that's that's what prayer is. It's a two way conversation with God. So number four, holy habit number four is become more generous this year than you were last year. Notice in Acts 2, uh they did something radical. They said they sold possessions and goods and they gave gave them to those in need. We live in such a materialistic society that we want to get all we can, save all we can and then sit on the can. I mean, we just want to get possessions and store it and then one day, you know, maybe we'll 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 die with a lot of toys. But recently, I've done a lot of funerals this year, more than in my lifetime. And so far, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Just haven't seen it. And when you look at the early church, they had this sense that Christ could come back at any time. And you know what? Christ didn't come back in their lifetime, but he is coming back. And if you think about the scripture, it says a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years so if you look at two thousand years that's just like two days that went by from eternal perspective but jesus christ couldn't come back at any moment what if we develop the early church mentality that you know what whatever i have is god's and i want to be more generous this year than i ever have been before um i was reading a story about a farmer anybody grew up farming okay for those of you who grew up farming you'll get this story uh, there was this farmer, and he had the best corn crop every year. And they would have the state fair, kind of like what we have in Asheville, and they would have the corn contest. Whoever had the best buttered corn or whatever it was, and this farmer won every year. So the news reporter went to the farmer and said, Sir, you have the best corn every single year. Can you tell us a little of your secret? And the farmer said, It's easy. I give all of my neighbors my seed corn, And I helped them out. And the reporter said, but your neighbors are also in the contest. Why would you give your best seed corn to your neighbors? And the farmer said, it's like this. Have you ever heard of cross-pollination? Whenever the corn grows up and the wind blows, if the neighbor's corn is inferior, it will eventually make my corn inferior. So if I want to have the best corn, I have to share my best with them. And together, we have a great corn. And the moral of the story is, if you want to grow good corn... You've got to help your neighbors grow good, good corn. If you want to have a life that's truly blessed, and I'm not saying just financially, I'm talking about relationships, I'm talking about in every area of life, it starts with generosity. If you notice in John 3, 16, it says, For God's love of the world that he what? He gave. If you truly love others, it's going to result in giving. And that's what we see in the early church. They practice hospitality. Uh, they had a love for people, they opened up their doors, uh, they were willing to give over and above what, what, what you would imagine. And wh- one of my favorite uh, examples in modern day culture is uh, Pastor Rick Warren at Saddleback in California. Did you know that he lives off 9% of his income? I mean, that's, that's kind of like, how does someone live off 9%? Well, it helps that he wrote the, the, the most tran- most translated book in the world besides the Bible, And after he wrote the Purpose Driven Life book, uh, he contacted his church secretary and he said, how much have I made over the past 25 years? And she she calculated and said, I'm going to pay back every dime I ever made from the church. From now on, I'm going to work for free from the church. And um, according to the story I was reading recently, he drives a 15-year-old Ford. Uh, He wears a watch bought from Walmart. And he says he doesn't own a boat or a plane or anything else. He's just a simple, simple guy. And I think, not that we can attain to his standard, but I think that's a good model to say, hey, this guy is generous and he's still blessed beyond his wildest dreams. So what does that look like for you? My wife and I were talking and I asked her the question. I said, what if God determined your income by your giving trend? How would that trend for you? So if if God looked at how much I'm giving and my future income potential is based upon my generosity... What would that look like? For some of us, that may be an ouch question, right? So a New Year's resolution number four, maybe it could be I'm going to be more generous this year. And by the way, we have a generous church. Um, I'm very thankful this church is so generous and wanted to give you guys a praise support. We finished the year off really, really strong where we not only met budget, but we, we beat the budget and we spent less in the budget. So you guys deserve a hand for that. So um, you guys are already, many of you are already practicing generosity, and I thank you for that. So finally, um, I'm just going to lay out a few other disciplines, some aren't mentioned in this passage, but here's how we become an all-in disciple. We become more devoted to Jesus this year than we were last year. Now, now a lot of times we say, Happy New Year, right? Well, that's really good, and I, I say Happy New Year as well, but you know, happiness is circumstantial. You're basically saying, I hope you have good circumstances. But how many of us know we're not promised a good life? We're not promised the best health. We're not promised the best finances. We live in a fallen world, right? Uh, I hope we, we have good health and all those things are true. But you know what we can say is we can be blessed this year. The Bible says we're already blessed in the heavenly realms. Book of Ephesians next week. But if you draw near to God, the Bible promises that he'll draw near to you. So here's a few spiritual disciplines that Christians throughout the ages have used. Some holy habits. We've already mentioned daily time with God and other believers. That's a holy habit. Uh, Second on your your little listening guide is living a lifestyle of praise. Notice it says that they were thankful. They had this grateful heart. How many of us, and sometimes it starts in childhood and it carries on, that we're very unthankful. Something that um, I appreciate my wife doing at the house, she turns it on the Christian radio station, 106.9, and it's blaring. So when I come home and say it's been a stressful day, you know, the praise kind of lifts up the mood. And say so the kids are a little grouchy, that 106.9 is playing, and it's hard to be grouchy when you've got praise all in the house. So that, that helps. Um, an attitude of gratitude. In everything, do what? Give thanks. No matter what your circumstances, knowing that God is sovereign, that helps you out sharing your faith with those around you you notice it said in the book of acts that passage that the lord is adding daily those who are being saved my brother john anthony is in the back there i'm not going to have him wave but he has been so on fire for the lord and we're going to have him share a testimony in the upcoming weeks he's been taking some of you guys door to door and for those of you thought the art of door-to-door evangelism is no longer there john anthony's bringing it back and we appreciate that but the idea is he's passionate. And some of you are like, well, I can't go door-to-door. That's okay. Can you share your faith with your family, with your coworkers? You know, a spiritual discipline that's hard to develop is to be evangelistic. And some of you will say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, it doesn't matter. We're all to be evangelistic, even if you feel like you're gifted in that area or not. Amen? And what will help you, a little practical thing, if you don't feel gifted in the area, Put yourself around someone who is, and that rubs off on you. I Many of you know Randy Shepherd in the area. I, every time I've hung out with him, and she's like, "Man, I'm horrible in sharing my faith. I need to get out there." And I mean, he'll stop people in the middle of the road and share Christ with them. And I'm like, I, I can maybe walk across the sh- you know street here. So another spiritual discipline is uh, serving through my spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities. Here, at Arden, first we have a lot of serve teams. And we're not asking people to be on multiple teams, but some people are because there's not a lot of, of volunteers here that are saying, hey, we've got a, a core group of people. And the more people that volunteer, the, the easier it's going to be for everybody just to serve. I've heard it said, if you're not serving, you're swerving. If you're not engaged in something bigger than yourself, it's going to make you spiritually off track. Um, something that uh, I'm not good at is keeping a spiritual journal. How many of you guys keep a journal? Notice it's mostly ladies raising their hands. Um, Part of a spiritual journal is it allows you to review what God's done in your life. So I'll tell you a little practical thing I've done. I'm not very good at handwriting. I'm left-handed and smears up all over the page. If you've seen a letter by me, it's smeared up It's because I'm left-handed. Just a little disclaimer. So what I do is I bought a little app on my laptop. It's called Day One Journal, and I can type it. And I type a lot faster than I write. So that's my around. I'm not good at writing stuff, so I can type it. So that's my journal. Um, silence and solitude. How many of us, and we all can say, ouch, how many of us are good at getting away and being silent? That's hard. It's silent and in the church. few of you are like, yeah. Now, look, here's a little disclaimer of this. Um, personality types plays into effect. If you're naturally introverted, this is natural for you. If you're naturally extroverted, this is hard. for. This is a discipline. Um, Many of you have heard of John Stott, the famous pastor who was in London for many years. He said what he would do is he would take a blanket, a picnic lunch, and he would go to a park for a day. And he would just think about God's goodness and his faithfulness. And he, he started it once a month, and then eventually he did it once a week. So what that would do for him is it recharges batteries. That's... That solitude and that silence. Here's another one that we say, ouch, taking a weekly Sabbath. Even though we're not under Mosaic law and it's not required, our body's still made that we need rest. How many of you, how many of you have ever, ever gotten sick when you didn't rest? Your body just collapsed. Sometimes that's your body's way of saying you should have been resting. And you know, Sabbath is a gift. It's, to me, it's not a burden. It's one of the, It's one of the most undiscovered gifts in the Bible, that if we're willing to take a day off and just rest, recharge, celebrate God's goodness, you know what he tends to invigorate us. So, how it works in my family, and we've we've kind of rediscovered it. Um, in, in the class I'm taking for school, uh, we did one on the spiritual disciplines, and um, it talked about the Sabbath and some of the things that were mentioned were kind of Jewish in origin, but it really helped. Is one is at the beginning of your Sabbath, where that is, light a candle and say a prayer and blow it out. And it signifies, it's like a symbol that this day is devoted to God. And at the end of the Sabbath, you light a candle, you thank God for his goodness, and you blow it out. And that symbolizes, you know what, it's, it's the start of a new week. So for my family and I, we take it on Fridays because you know I work on Sunday. It's hard to take Sunday off. So we take it on Fridays. And so the, the thing is not which day... It's, are you taking a day to celebrate God's goodness, to refresh, to relax, to enjoy? And it doesn't mean you have to be in bed all day. You can go hiking. You, it's, it's, it's a time of whatever your work is, you do the opposite. So it's actually my family's favorite day of the week now. We call it Fun Family Friday. Every Friday my kids are excited. They know we're going to do something fun. Um, they get to eat desserts on Friday. So it, it's great. And I save um, the hardest one for last because uh, I'm not going to ask anyone to say amen or to raise their hand because this is the Baptist church is fasting. If I had to guess, I would say probably more than 90 percent of the people in here haven't fasted before. Other denominations, it's a lot more popular. But for some reason, Baptists, we love potluck dinners. We love biscuits and gravy. Amen. We, so fasting is like a curse word in a Baptist church. I mean, really, how many of you have ever you can raise your hand for this. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on fasting in a Baptist church? Maybe a few of you. It's probably very rare. Um, well, something if you look in Matthew nine, it's not on your notes. Um, Matthew nine fourteen through to 15 it says, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we fast often? And the, your disciples do not fast. They could probably ask that about the Baptist church. Why do we fast and Baptists don't? Well, Jesus said to them, can the friend of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. For some reason, we forgot that last phrase in the Bible. It says, once Jesus is ascended to heaven, then the disciples will fast. We kind of don't read that verse, right? Um, Matthew 6, Jesus in a Sermon on the Mount. He says, moreover, when you fast, not if, but when you fast... Do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly I say to you, they will have their rewards. So in other words, whenever you fast, be excited about it. Don't be like, Oh my stomach. Now little caveat if other people are involved in fast with you, you can kinda of encourage each other, but to people who aren't fasting, that's who it's talking about, don't appear like oh I'm so so they they they're like, Oh, how spiritual you are, and then then you got your reward. But it says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So ladies, it's saying, if you wear makeup, put on the makeup. Guys, if you comb your hair, put, put, put the cologne on. And it says, so that you'll not be a peer to men to fasting, but your Father who's in a secret place. Now listen to this. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So here's the thing. Here's the reason why I'm bringing up the spiritual discipline, this holy habit, is there is rewards in fasting. Jesus said it himself. So I think a lot of churches are not tapped in to a lot of the blessings that God has because we choose not to fast. Now, why do we not fast? Well, it's hard. Most people, there are maybe exceptions here and there, most people do not like fasting. Much as like most of us men do not like cardio in the gym. How many of you men like cardio? No, right? But you know you have to do it. You know, it's good for the heart. The doctors tell you, you know, you've got to do it for the heart health. But here's the thing about fasting. We, we don't do it because it's so hard, but it's a reason why it's called a discipline. It takes work. It's hard. So what we're going to do, and this is nothing mandatory, but this is for those who want to be all in to go a little deeper in your faith. If you've never fasted before, we're going to provide a simple fast. It's not going to be your traditional absolute fast where you don't eat food, you just drink water. Now, some of you have been through that and it's really hard. We're going to do something for those who would like to do it. It's called a Daniel fast. Anybody ever heard of a Daniel fast before? Some of you have, okay. Pastor Jensen Franklin is a pastor in the Georgia area. His congregation is over 10,000 people. And every year they do a 21-day Daniel fast. And uh, according to Jensen, he said, you know, I'm just reading a few of his results. He said, I've had people testify that just three days into a fast for a loved one suffered from cancer, the cancer was completely cured at this point. So he's saying... One of the testimonies, he had someone that had cancer was cured. He said another person, um, they had a 107 degree fever, a lady's son. He had leukemia. On the first day of the fast, the boy's fever broke and he different, di- didn't suffer from brain damage. So he said people fast for various reasons. The, the main reason they fast is to draw closer to God. But he said some people fast to break addictions from drugs and alcohol. Some people fast to get rid of addiction to like sweets, I know that's my my thing, eating right. And Pastor Franklin, I'm going to read a quote to you. He says, each year I encourage all the members of Free Chapel to join us in this fast. He says, if in 21 days you can be a new person, why would you go the rest of your life feeling sick, weak, overweight, and run down? Why not take a radical step of faith? We have only one life to give to God, so let's take control of our bodies and go for God with the best we have. So here, here here's what I'm going to lay out. And like I said, this is not mandatory, like you have to do it. But these are for those of you who would say, I would like to try it. Uh, for those of you who really cringe at the word fast, we're going to give a three-day option where you just do it for three days. That, anyone can do anything for three days. That's pretty easy. And for those of you who want a little more challenge, there's going to be a 10-day. Notice we're not doing the 21 day, because that's that's hard. Some of you have done the 21 day. But basically the Daniel fast is something that a lot of your doctors would recommend anyways. It's basically a vegetarian diet. Like the Bible says Daniel abstained from the king's delicacies. He didn't eat the meat, didn't drink the wine, and he ate basically fruit and vegetables. And it said at the end of those, that time here, the first fast was 10 days. It says Daniel looked better looking than any other person. So I'm, I'm claiming that for that, this fast. He looked better than anybody else after 10 days. Wouldn't that be great? So basically, on, your, on the back of your outline, it has some a guideline. And like I said, none of this is legalistic, or you have to. Um, you can modify it to uh, what you'd like, you know, God leading you to do. A very strict Daniel fast—you you only have water and fruits and vegetables. So I, I, I tend to do more of a modified, where herbal teas are okay. Here's the hard thing: no coffee. Ouch! So I'm just, I'm, it's hard. No caffeine. Some of you are like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so, um, another traditional Daniel fast, you can't have any breads. But a concession, I say that you know we throw throw out to help you is Ezekiel bread. You know, it's it is biblical, right? <laughs> Grains, but um, that that's something uh, something Jensen Franklin recommends for people who feel really weak and struggling, especially if you're working a job and you're like, man, this fast is killing me. Chicken broth. That you, you take it and it kind of helps, and that, that's that's not the strict version. That's more the modified version. Um, protein shakes you can do all natural, you know, mix it with almond milk or coconut milk. And some of you're like, uh, by the way, no milk products either on the Daniel fast. So some of you are like no coffee, no milk products. I'm not doing it, right? So, anyways, that's an option for you. And for those of you who want to do it, um, I would say a caveat to it is if you have any health issues, do talk to your doctor. But most of the doctors would say, I've been trying to get you to do this diet anyways for a long time, uh, fruits and vegetables. But for those of you who want to do a 10-day fast, you notice on your outline it's going to start next Sunday for dinner. So we're going to ease you guys into it. And then we'll break it on the following 10 days later, the Wednesday night, when we have our Wednesday night dinner, break it together. And for those of you who just want to do three days and just get, get, try fasting for the first time, um, you start the following Sunday night. And you break it three days later. So that's, some of your eyes are glazed over like, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) So here's your take home truth. If you will draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. I really hope that today's message was very practical nuts and bolts. These are spiritual disciplines that Christians throughout the ages have used. And it's very, very biblical, all these things. And I just want to encourage you, if, if one or two of those things stuck out to you, like, okay, I think I should start reading the Bible every day, I would encourage you to to do that. If, if you, your prayer life is struggling, uh, ask God to help you, even if you say a short prayer when you get up in the morning. Just take steps. So the, the thing is, is not to feel overwhelmed by all of these disciplines, but think of these disciplines as streams. And if you don't want your river to run dry spiritually, if you don't want to have those moments of, I just feel God so distant. It's good to develop spiritual discipline so those streams continually flow into your spiritual life. So that if one tends to struggle, you still have multiple streams making you feel God's presence closer. Because as Christians, we know God is always with you. That's true. But sometimes it seems like, where is He at? And you know what? These spiritual disciplines help you to continue to cultivate His presence in your life. Let's pray together. Father, I know this was a challenging New Year's message for all of us, including myself. And it's not glamorous to talk about discipline in today's society. I realize that. And I realize that many people came today wanting to hear a pep talk or you know something that makes them leave with a warm and fuzzy. But Lord, I want to leave them with substance. I want to leave them with something that's going to help them if they apply. And God, the ultimate premise we brought today that from your word out of the book of James, if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So Father, my prayer, as we have this hymn of invitation in just a moment, if there's any commitments we need to make, that we'll draw near to you. Right now where you're seating, if there's anyone here that hasn't prayed to receive Jesus, um, this message really doesn't have a lot of application other than the first step for you is to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you've never done that, it's really simple. It's acknowledging that Jesus is God, that He died for your sins, and in three days He defeated hell, death, and the grave, and He rose again. And if you place your faith in Him, and Him alone, the Bible says He gives you a new life. So what better way to start 2017 than to invite Jesus into your life? So right now, where you're sitting, everyone praying, if you need to invite Christ, just pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I want to start this New Year off, new year off right. I give my life to you. Please forgive me of my sins. Please give me new life. I believe, Jesus, that you are God, that you were born, that you lived the perfect life, and you, you did it for me. And you died and rose again. So I place my faith in you. And Father, for the rest of us who are believers, God, help us out of these holy habits we mentioned. I pray that even if just one or two stood out that we need to work on, That we would take that next step. That we would draw near to you. And as a result, you would draw near to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time, if you'd please stand for the hymn of invitation. Adam and I will be at the front. If you have any prayer requests, if you have prayers for healing or whatever God has laid on your heart, we'll be at the front. And if you're doing the Daniel fast or you made a a commitment, I encourage you during this time, uh, take that connection card out. And on the back it says, my next step. If you'll write down Daniel fast, read the Bible, prayer life, whatever it may be. The staff and the others here at the church will uh, keep you guys in our prayers.